What a privilege it is to be here today. This is a beautiful church. Now, the building's nice, and the facilities uh, had exceeded my expectations from what Pastor had told us, but what makes this church beautiful is the spirit of the people here. And I just wanted to say thank you to Pastor, and uh, just when he comes up, and he's helped our church a lot, and he's counseled me, and we've sat together, and I've asked him questions on pastoring, and he's just been the right friend in my life. You know, the, uh, so many times, uh, the people that we spend time with will shape you. And we have to be careful who we give our heart to. And I just appreciate being able to be here. And we've snapped photos for nuts and bolts ideas, so to speak. And we've enjoyed the, the music in this conference has been second to none. And what a blessing. I wanted to say thank you uh, to each and every person who has taken the trash out, preparing the meals for us. Uh, greeting us and playing music and singing. It just, it, it's an entire team spirit. And I know God in the Bible, he likes us working together. And I just wanted to say, my wife and I, Angie, sitting right over here, uh, we have noticed how special this church is. Now, once we're inside the church, you know, maybe we've been coming for a little while, uh, we don't necessarily think sometimes that it's all that special. But this church is very special. Uh, my wife and I have had an opportunity to be in a lot of churches at times. And what we have seen this week is a very special church. And I believe that the touch of God is upon this place. And I believe that the hand of God is upon Pastor and Miss Cassie and their family. And isn't it wonderful to really believe and know that we're a part of a place when we come into church on Sunday... And I know we're tired. No, no, a lot has happened this week. It's 17 hours behind us yesterday, so I'm not real sure what day it is, uh, so be a little gracious on me. Uh, but when, when we get to gather together like this on a Sunday morning and know that the Spirit of God has entered in, and He's watching us, and He's listening to us, and, and He's sitting with us, and He's talking to us, uh, the goal is not more seating capacity. The goal is that Jesus would come. And if he's here, boy, we're going to be able to have church today. And I believe that through the singing already, he's been pleased. And I just appreciate the way you allow your pastor to travel a little bit. Um, going all the way out to California. And I know why he goes out there. It's not to walk on the beach and go to In-N-Out Burger, though those are good reasons. Uh, but... It's so that he can be sharpened and strengthened from the word of God. Uh, I wanted to come for years and years and years, and uh, the Lord allowed us to come. And when your pastor came this last time and preached out of Nehemiah chapter 2, I just really felt I needed to get around him more. I felt I needed his heart. And uh, I, I felt that my wife needed to be around Miss Cassie. And, uh, you know, God will bless when we invest into his work. And... I just wanted to say again, thank you for allowing us to come. Everybody's been so nice, and our brother lent us his car a couple days ago, and uh, pastor gave us some recommendations, and we uh, went down uh, to, to the beach area. What a beautiful country this is. This is wonderful. I saw a snake yesterday. I thought, well, that's, everything else has been beautiful till right now. <laughs> and so I mentioned that to pastor. He said, what did it look like? And I explained it. He said, oh, he said, uh, I, I'm glad you didn't touch it. Those are deadly. They'll kill you. <laughs> and so, well, hey, praise the Lord for that. 
And uh, so I want to tell my brother that lent us the car that my, my wife were driving, and my wife kept telling me, get on the left side, get on the left side. You know, in America, the driver, the steering wheel's on the left side of the car, and we drive on the right side of the road. And uh, so coming out here, things are a little bit different so much that everything is opposite. And she said, turn your turn signal on. I said, okay, all right. And I'm looking over here. I'm in the roundabout for 25 minutes, you know. And uh, I look over at my, my, the, the uh, windshield wipers were going. And I didn't know where I was at. So I want to tell my brother that uh, I owe you a new car, okay? And so, no, everything was fine. And uh, we stopped over at uh, Brother Rod's house this morning, the Cliffords. And they've been so gracious to host us this week. And they're a wonderful family, and I appreciate their spirit towards us. And we stopped in real quick, and we were going to change, and we had traveled uh, maybe an hour and a half or so this morning. And, and I couldn't, I knew I put a pair of socks in my luggage, and somewhere between San Diego on the plane to Brisbane, somebody took one of my socks. <laughs> I know they did. I don't know if maybe the, the guy's packaging everything. There's a favorite kind of socks that they liked. And so I went up to Brother Clifford, and I said, Sir, we're going to get to know each other a lot more than we both thought. Do you have any socks that I could borrow today? And so I'm wearing his socks, praise God. And so um, we've just enjoyed being around you. We've enjoyed the church family, and my wife and I just appreciate how sacrificial this church has been. And why don't we take our Bibles this morning, and let's look at First Thessalonians of our text, if you wouldn't mind. And I know that everything rises and falls on leadership, and there was a pastor back in the States, Lee Robertson, that had taught that, and, and I know that a lot of the heart that you have is because your pastor has that kind of heart. And we watch him, and we allow him to lead us, and we learn how to lead our kids, and we learn how to get along with each other. And how many of you know that age doesn't mean wisdom? And though somebody might be older in our church, and we follow maybe a, a younger pastor, uh, that doesn't, age doesn't necessarily equate to wisdom. And I believe that God can give our pastor wisdom and be able to guide us through the word of God. And I'm looking forward to watching your church get rewarded and blessed. Everybody here who's partaken in this conference on how God is going to touch you in a special way because of all your work. I know that he will. It's just, it, that's just how he is. And let's look in the Bible, if you don't mind, this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, our young man had stood here and uh, read this. And in verse number 16 of 1 Thessalonians chapter Number five, the Bible tells us rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. As I had pondered and uh, studied that word rejoice, uh, in order to have a rejoicing heart, you must have the nucleus substance of joy first. It's kind of like um, words that we would use, I need to, pastor, I need to get together with you and would you help us restore our relationship? That word re, R-E, joyce, re-establish. Something was already there, but through circumstances and through busyness of life, we can slip and we can lose what we once had. God says that here in rejoicing, he says we, he wants us and commands us to rejoice evermore. I think of the word recover. 
If I lost something, I'd like to recover what belonged to me. I think of words such as uh, that, that the Bible teaches us to revive us again. Revive, to make something alive. God breathes life and energy back into us that when we got to working, even doing good things, and we can lose some momentum, and it doesn't even mean sin at times, but it just means through the busyness and weariness of, of providing for our families and enjoying our marriage and uh, walking with God, and even in good things, we can lose the life that we had with God. And God tells us that there are other words that he uses that start with R-E. Remind me that again. My wife was guiding us in the navigation. I told her, I said, well, I will drive and we're going to enjoy the journey. Amen. Uh, and you get us there. And so she was in charge of the navigation and she'd say, take a left up here. And she would, she would say the name. We pass it. And I said, what was that again? She said, it's back there. And, uh, you know, remind us, re-mind. So it was once there, and then for some reason, maybe I forgot it, maybe I just didn't think about it the way I should, and uh, we always remember what we're currently using. Uh, there was a phone number that I used to we live in my parents' house, and, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, I know we had phone numbers, but I, since I don't use them anymore, I, I just forgot it naturally because I need to be reminded of what I don't use anymore. And other words such as, uh, maybe you use them here, maybe you don't, uh, remember. Sometimes I just don't remember. It's like I had it, but, but if I could just recall again a thought that could trigger a reminder or a remembering, you know, God uses that same common thread to teach us joy. Rejoice. Joy is the foundation. It is, the, it, it, it is what everything in this building is built upon, is the foundation. And these steel beams uh, could not be held up had the foundation and the footings not be dug at a certain depth with the rebar and the steel into the foundation first so that it could handle the weight of that structure. And joy is the foundation of your life. God commands that Joy must be the foundation of how we walk with him and every relationship in our life. If we lose our joy, we lose our kids. If we lose our joy, we lose our marriage. And, and we, we could, well, see, some might say, well, I've been married 30 years. I've been married 40 years. I've been married 50 years. Great. But existing together doesn't mean we have a joyful marriage. And God tells us that we can grow in these areas. And he uses the word rejoice, revisit, go back to, and remember. And then he uses the word evermore. And the word evermore means at all times. And it means to continue always growing in. To add more than last year. To add more than last Sunday. Daniel had an excellent spirit. And God elevated him because he had an excellent attitude in private. And if you study out the book of Daniel, nobody in here wants to be like him. We want the reward of his walk with God. But what it took to get that reward, we would not want to travel. And he had an excellent spirit when everything was going wrong and against him. 
God tells us that he elevated him and he promoted him. And the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. Now listen to this. It says, and be ye thankful. You see, the first priority of regaining the joy that when we got saved, uh, we ought to be thankful and excited that we are not heading to hell this morning. Boy, it was St. Patrick's Day last night. Was I not thankful for that? For what that stands for and the behavior of our culture. Uh, America, uh, the, the way that they behave during those kinds of holidays is embarrassing. I want to ask you to pray for America. I believe America ought to pray for Australia. We're in trouble. We're in trouble deep because the foundation is cracked. The majority of Americans, at least in our state, are on welfare. And when that welfare check comes, it's somewhere between $900 and $1,200 per month. People that receive it and have not worked for it are not thankful, though they've been given something they didn't deserve. The foundation of America is an unthankful heart. And I believe when God sees that crack, he will begin to invest into the repairing of our heart and wants to talk with us this morning for a few moments about going back and remembering what he's done for us on the cross of Calvary. I believe that our joy begins to slip when we lose our thankfulness. When we stop uh, being thankful for our spouse, when we stop being thankful for our church, when we stop being thankful that God gave us children and now that they're an irritant running around and they're just a bunch of noise, we get aggravated and bothered at times and we've lost our thankfulness. You see, when we lose our thankfulness, we lose our joy. And God tells us that in Colossians that we ought to be thankful Luke chapter 6 and verse number 45 states this, A good man out of a good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. You see, when you and I are bumped, what is in you will come out. Uh, when, when you get laid off at the office, how you get aggravated and bothered and the complaining spirit was always in you but the bump brought it out and God tells us that when we're bumped we ought to have an excellent spirit how is your spirit this morning when you get bumped what comes out of you when you're been married a little while my wife and I have, in a few months are celebrating 18 years of being married now, I want to give advice to every young person here not married this morning. I married the first person who liked me back. I just knew she was God's will because nobody else ever liked me. Amen. And uh, so that worked out kind of nice. Marry her, marry him if they like you. No, I'm just kidding. That's terrible. <clears throat> but the Bible says that for the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You see, what is in you will eventually come out. I wonder how many husbands come home after work and what comes out of the mouth over the next couple of hours being aggravated and bumped throughout the day, the true you is, is it being exposed. And you know what we can do? We can wear the people out that God has put in our life. And God tells us we ought to rejoice. 
We ought to let God revisit that truth from the word of God in our heart that he has done so much for us. We ought to be thankful. If God didn't do anything more for me, is it enough? If not another prayer was answered this morning that you've been praying for, if God stopped his hand upon your life, is it enough for you? And only God and you know the truth of the answer. Do we rejoice for what he's already done? Or are we waiting to rejoice until he gives me more? You see, in America, the more you have, the more you want. And you're never content. I think a byproduct of of, uh, uh, being unthankful is comparison. Uh, The truth of the matter is that when, when, when I used to rejoice and when I used to have the foundation of my relationships and my walk with God and uh, all that he's done for me, the foundation is joy. When I've slipped a little bit from that and I begin to get my eyes on people and things that are not the Lord uh, and I begin to complain and I begin to get unthankful, uh, the rapid transition from unthankful is comparison. When we start looking at, I'd like to get another job. Why? Well, I don't know. I'd like to make more. Now, I mean, I know it'll take me away from church on Sunday, but if we get more, then we can. And you see, it's a rapid transgression into obtaining more. The Bible commands a question for what is your life? If Jesus were to come back tonight, what did we stand for? What defines you? Nothing wrong with having nice things. Nothing Wrong with uh, being blessed of God. Matter of fact, God tells us that the blessings of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. But I believe that word rich there is not necessarily obtainable, more assets that will distract us from our walk with God. It's a rich spirit of joy from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 22, a merry heart, that's a happy heart, right? Doeth good like a medicine. But a broken spirit drieth the bones. I mentioned that Daniel had an excellent spirit. Let me ask you a question. What's excellent about you? Is there anything that God privately in his spirit can go into your home this afternoon and he can point out certain attributes and characteristics of attitude and say, wow, okay, dad, you're excellent in how you talk to your children. Mom, you're excellent on how you uh, compliment dad. There's some things that are excellent in your home. You know, the word excellent is God's word. It was first introduced in the word of God. Matter of fact, Paul, later on, knowing that word was a word from God, he told the church that, uh, he says, now I show unto you a more, 1 Corinthians, a more excellent way. Paul always had the spirit of rejoicing. He was always encouraged and thankful and excited. And he, he just on purpose sought to be encouraged. Remember, David encouraged himself in the Lord, didn't he? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, because that, when they knew God, oh, this verse is so very critical to our walk with him. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful. Talking about the children of Israel, and I think sometimes when I, when I look at the um, <clears throat> stories in the Bible, I don't know if you ever do this. You're probably much more spiritual, and I'm being honest by that. And I'll look at that, and I'll think, I wouldn't have talked to God like that. 
I wouldn't have said that. Honey, you and I would be right there with Joshua and Caleb. I would have been one of the two, not the other ten. Ten were bad and two were good. But I'm going to be honest with you. I've gone through much less steps of faith. And God has heard my thoughts uttered against him. Complaining. I don't like this. When we complain, we break the heart of God. Because the opposite of complaining is rejoicing. Boy, God's been good, hasn't he? This building is absolutely a gift from God. Be able to get a building like this in San Diego County can only take the hand of God. And I know it was his hand that gave it to you also. But the goal is not more buildings. The goal is Jesus. And if we make him the goal, if we focus on him and learn, learn his attitude, and Jesus taught us that uh, we can have his mind and we can have his joy, and God says that we don't have to live this life miserable and and, and stressful and carrying a weight heavier than maybe is the call, the burden uh, from the Lord. And God tells us that uh, Daniel had an excellent spirit. Uh, they were thankful, Paul teaches the church at Rome, but became vain in their imaginations. Remember the children of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt and God was going to guide them into a new nation and a new country. And they, he was just going to establish the new laws and God was just going to absolutely take care of them. But they didn't believe him. And they copped an attitude and they were upset and they uh, wanted the meat and they wanted to go back into Egypt and they didn't care what was going to happen to their family in Egypt. They didn't care what was going to happen to the kids and the influence of the world. They were just complaining and didn't care about being thankful for what God had done for them. You see, often in our prayer list, we ask God for more, but he's still waiting for us to be thankful on what he's already given us. I heard one pastor challenge us at times, and he says, do we spend as much time thanking God for the prayers that he had answered as the amount of time I asked him to give it? Wow, that's a good thought. And all of a sudden, we pray for weeks or months or even years, Lord, would you, would you give me this or would you respond to that? And then as soon as he does and he gives that gift, all of a sudden, thank you, Lord. And there's a... And unthankful at times, even with a deceptive thankful. The Bible says he honoreth me with his lips, but his heart is far from me. The Bible tells us that, and their foolish heart was darkened. I think at times in our church back in California, as we read the word of God, as we stay close to him and you can see the darkness of certain families. And you can see the darkness of certain, certain individuals and teenagers and people. Certain marriages are very dark. And really the root of that darkness is they're unthankful. It was a husband and wife that came to our church, and this is a few years back, and we greeted them, and I was called by their previous pastor, and that pastor had sang their praises, and he was, he was being very genuine and very kind, and he said, oh, this is a good, good family, and, and uh, he said, they're coming your way, a, a retired detective and a uh, very accomplished, wealthy man, and they, they, they come to our church, and they attended for a little while, and I'll never forget the very first time that I met them. For about 45 minutes after the service, <clears throat> the lady began to complain about her pastor the one who had complimented them. 
the one who had tried to pour his life into them and uh, the one who had tried to encourage them to transition over to another church when they moved to that city and uh, the pastor had uh, just tried to be an encouragement and a blessing. I began to think, does this pastor know what this family really thinks of that pastor? You see, what is in you will eventually come out, won't it? Years and years of that pastor pouring into their life and uh, over the next several weeks, I had not gone to their house yet. I wasn't sure. I was trying to get God's mind how I should respond and be careful. And, uh, but the pastor said I needed to engage and try to encourage them. And they had just bought about a $900,000 house in Fallbrook. And uh, I didn't know that at the time. But over the last couple of weeks or so, when they first began to come, uh, they began to complain about how much money they didn't have. And they were poor-mouthing to everybody in the church. And they were not necessarily asking for money, but they were getting everybody to pity them and to feel bad for them. You know, that hurts a church when we do that. Because really what we're doing, when we're casting our burdens on somebody else, not our prayer, but our burden, we're telling somebody else, God hasn't been good to me. And you know, that breaks the heart of God. And that hurts the institution of the church. So we got the address of the visitor card, and I pulled up, and there's a beautiful mansion of a home. And I thought, well, maybe they're staying with a friend. I don't know. We go in, and, and, and again, nothing wrong with having nice things. As the conversation went on, they began to tell us about the seven homes that they own paid off cash, one of which is $2 million in, in a city called La Jolla, which is a very prominent area, kind of like your Gold Coast or uh, maybe something along those lines, Sunshine Coast. And they, they asked me to go there and try to help the husband and think. And, and, and I began to think, I'm not really sure that their situation is as bad as they're speaking. Millions and millions of, of dollars worth of assets and things. After a little while, and I was kind to them, my wife and I visited them many, many times, wanting nothing from them in return, and the Lord was challenging me to make sure my heart was pure on all that. You know who gives the most in our church anyways? Those who really don't hardly have anything. And you know, God records your sacrifice. It's never equal giving, but equal sacrifice. You know, the issue of giving to God is never, ever the amount, but the percentage of what he has given you. And so uh, about a year goes on, and their attendance began to draw off, and every single service, Pastor, every time they attended, I thought, I'd like to go out a different way, because I, I just, it would hurt my spirit talking to them afterwards. And for a, a, over a year, all I heard was how good God wasn't to them. Now, they never said those words, but their spirit spoke that very loudly, and it hurt me. Every time I preached a message, they had a comment about it, and I should have used this verse instead, or whatever it was. And really, it became a scornful attitude. I never prayed for God to take them away. I just prayed that God would correct their heart and get a hold of them. Because I believe that they could have been an asset in the church, just like you are, not with their money, but with their attitude. And... <clears throat> Don't ever think that when your place is empty, that's replaced by somebody else. You have a very important role in this church, whoever you are. Not where you work, not what you drive, but who you are.
It cannot be replaced. To this day, nobody in our church, not one time, has ever come to my wife and I and said, where are they at? Boy, we miss them. Boy, uh, Pastor, I, I noticed that uh, I haven't seen this couple in a while. And they're older, in their late 70s. And I, I begin to think at times, for what is your life? You see, I'd rather die, and this is not a godly statement, but it's something that the Lord has tried to help transition my spirit with. I'd rather die with nothing and be rich in spirit than to be rich on this world and poor in spirit. And God had encouraged my heart, and this family had left, and they, they wanted all kinds of stuff and never hardly gave anything, and just a taker spirit. And, but nobody, isn't that interesting? Nobody's ever asked where they're at. Let me ask you a question. Is anything different in this room because you are here? Because you showed up at church today, and not because you were the song leader, or not because you were the pastor, not because you were over here playing an instrument, not that anybody saw you teach Sunday school, but is anything different in this room because you know how to rejoice before God? You see, at the end of our life, we'll say one of two things. I'm glad I did, or I wish I would have. There came a point in our life a few years ago and things were going well, and we had needs. We had things on our prayer list, and we try never to bring the burdens to the pulpit or, or anything. And I appreciate your pastor. He's got a very, very kind heart about him, and he loves his church. And things were going along real nice, and God divinely interrupted my schedule. He interrupted me. And he put something in my path that stopped me. We were at uh, Vacation Bible School, and we were hosting that at our church, and things were going well, and kids were getting saved, and, and I look over that my wife had fallen to the ground, and she was uh, trying, to, trying to get back up, and, and I came over, and I said, honey, are you okay? And she's trying to get her into the car. I was going to take her home and maybe rest, and she says, I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time feeling my foot, and there's a lot of tingling, and and she said, my back hurts really badly. I told the workers over at our church, I said, listen, you just take vacation Bible school the rest of the week. I'm going to take my wife to the hospital. We're just going to get some pictures taken, see what's going on. And I wasn't prepared or ready for anything and uh, just thought, well, you know, these are the challenges of life. And life will be life, won't it? It's not always God's fault when certain things we have to deal with. He divinely allows it to teach us how to have the right attitude. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe God put this in my heart because I'm a real good Christian. I believe God had allowed this interruption to stop me because I wasn't the Christian he would have me to be. And I took Angie to the hospital and we waited in the wheelchair and the whole time she was crying for several hours in the emergency room and, 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 and she's, she's just leaning over and, 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 and at that point I'm starting to get aggravated. I'm pacing, all right, all right, how come they got to go next, you know? And, and I'm just, you know how we get sometimes when, when we're just scared? 
and wheeled her back, and they began to take some MRIs, they call them back in California, and uh, just a bunch of pictures and x-rays and different things, and the doctor had come in, and the surgeon was on his way, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know, and they were having lots of conversations with each other, and as the nurse and the doctor had come over to me and said, we're going to have to put your wife uh, in, in traction on her back, we have to, to strap that. She can't move at all until we can get a surgeon here. And I said, sir, what's going on? And he said, he said, we're going to let the surgeon talk to you. We're not authorized to tell you what's going on. He says, but it's bad. My wife was 37 years old at the time, and we have four kids, and excited to serve the Lord with the church. And, you know, there are much worse things in this life than an empty wallet. Somebody always has it harder than you and I. As I'm sitting there waiting for the surgeon to come, and my kids had come at that point, my parents had dropped them off, and we're there, and they'd taken her up, I believe, on the 12th floor, and we were uh, up into that room, and she, there she is on the bed, and the neurosurgeon, I never even heard of a neurosurgeon, somebody that, that works on nerves and the, really the microscopic sensitivities of the body. And, and, and as he had come in, he began to explain to me with simple terms that I could understand that one of the discs in my wife's back had exploded and that, that hard cartilage had penetrated into her spinal cord and, and, and the roots that, that go down into her legs. And he made this statement to me. He said, your wife will never walk again. He says, it's that bad. He said, when the pictures were sent to me on my phone when I was back home, he said, I rushed over here. He says, I thought this person was in a really bad car accident. And he said to me, he says, what happened? I said, I don't know what happened, sir. Nothing that we could even explain. Now, in my heart, I'm thinking, Lord, what are you doing? Get me out of this. And usually when we don't understand, our spirit begins to get down. And he began with my children sitting right here. He began to explain that my wife is going to have to live with tubes coming out of her side and, and, and bags the rest of her life. And she won't have any feeling uh, from, from the waist down. I began to fall apart. I'll never forget when that surgeon left. I fell down by that bedside and I asked God for mercy. I asked God to help me. I started going through a, a list of things. Lord, I know, I know I've probably done this. I've, I, and, you know, and we asked God to forgive us. See, David said, I'll be sorry for my sin. I, I didn't want to be the cause of an interruption. I, I didn't want an unthankful attitude to create a judgment or the hand of God to be heavy upon my kids. And God, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and encourage me. And I got up from that bedside. I'm wiping the tears from my face. And I look back and my children had heard and seen everything. They had set the appointment that just a few hours later she was about to be wheeled back and Angie, I'll never forget when you were being wheeled back that first time of the surgery. We had a pre preacher and his wife come through our church. 
And him and his wife sang so beautifully, not because they had a beautiful voice, but because their spirit was so beautiful. That's what my wife and I saw. We were sitting right over here all week. We saw the beautiful music from the spirit of everybody who's been singing right here this week. And you encouraged us. And I wanted to say thank you for that. As they were about to wheel her back, my wife was, for, for about an hour, she was playing this little video that we took of this pastor and his wife that had been singing this song. What was the name of that song, Angie? Psalm 91. And just praising the Lord, telling good how, God how good he is. I'll never forget what my wife said to me. As they had began to unhook her and, and things and transfer her oak very so carefully over to the next bed. And any movement at all would cause a whole lot more paralyzation and problems to her body. And she said to me, she says, Jim, she said, we're not going to let this ruin us. And we're not going to get mad at God. What makes you and I mad at God? What would a divine interruption in your schedule cause you to say to the one who's forgiven all of your sin? Everybody has life to deal with. There's no martyr. As a matter of fact, when the Bible, uh, when we open the Bible, he very clearly says it's our reasonable service. I mean, let's agree, we haven't really ever done much for him. As she was being wheeled away, I was under a deep amount of stress and strain. Things came on so quickly, and I had called a few pastors, and a few of them were on uh, their way the next day, and, 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 and I was left there all by myself. And my parents had come and get the kids, and, 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 and I went outside, and I said, God, I need you to help me, because I'm starting to get mad at you. I don't want to charge you foolishly. Job, he, boy, he, he, he did such a great righteous job, but I'm not Job, God. And I began to jog around the per perimeter of that entire hospital. And I didn't stop jogging until the doctor gave me a, a, an idea of when he would be done a few hours later. I, I was just, just trying to get the mind of God. And all I could ask God is, Lord, help, me, help this not to ruin me. Help this. People at our church are depending on my attitude. My kids are watching how I handle this. My wife came out of that surgery, and she was in an intense amount of pain, and there was a lot of complications, and that surgery didn't go very well. Yet she ended up in a rehab facility and a few weeks later had to, had to go into another even more intense surgery and reconstruct her entire back. And Thankfully, God put us in the right place and allowed us to have very good people. And I'll never forget after 33 days living in that hospital, that first time anyway, that the nurses had walked my wife to the elevator, several of them, and said, we've never seen anybody have such a good attitude having gone through something like this. Now, they didn't say that to me. They said that about her. And I'm thinking, oh, bless the Lord. 
I'll never forget one time I was a little aggravated one particular afternoon. My kids are homeschooling, and um, I don't know how your school goes around here, but this I know, you ought to be thankful for your Christian school. Every parent, every child, every teenager, everybody ought to be thankful for this Christian school right here. Now, it's easy to lose our thankfulness when we're around it so much, right? In our town, it is a minimum one-hour drive in any direction to have a Christian school like this that would, that would give the truth. And so we were homeschooling, and my wife's in the bed, and she's trying to grade papers and not move very much after a week or two in the hospital. And, and, and I look over at my son, and I said, did you get your work done? No, Daddy, I didn't. Now, I'm starting to get upset very quickly. And I'm in the hospital room, and I'm tired, and I'm only uh, leaving the hospital to preach and pastor our church. And I got aggravated. I threw his book on the ground. And I went downstairs in the hospital. They had a Starbucks there. That always makes things a little bit better, amen? And uh, so I go down, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just upset, and I'm brewing. And, and I've been in this dumb hospital. And, and, and God began to convict my spirit. Why do you talk to your son like that? Well, he didn't do his school, and I come up with all kinds of reasons, right? So I have my Starbucks in my hands and my coffee, and I'm walking back into the room, and it was like the Spirit of God began to break my heart. As I walk into that room, he reminded me that my children have been living in the windowsills for 33 days in that hospital because they didn't want to leave mommy's side that I should have a little bit more grace on some people. How much grace do you give each other? How much patience do you give people in your life and in our church, not knowing the story behind their eyes? People are having a tough time, aren't they? I would think everybody would have a story this morning. The story was told of... Uh, of, a, uh, of, a, of an English horse there in England was shot twice with a crossbow and survived after four other fellow mares, the horses, had trotted over to this uh, wounded horse's side and for three hours straight without any rest, those four horses licked the wounds of that other horse. The true story goes on like this, and it says that the 20-year-old horse that was shot by the name of Zeta was in critical condition after one of the arrows bounced off her rib while another one of the arrows lodged an inch from the horse's lung as it grazed in the field. Her owner, a human, said that the reason that the horse stayed alive was the other horses ministering the licking wounds and made a full recovery. Look up here for a second. Do we help each other with our wounds? Or do we just talk about it and we cause more hurt and pain? You know, there's wounded people in the church today. And they need not more complaining. They need not more opinion. 
They need not more uh, what, what, what we think is best, but rather to come to each other's aid and use words of encouragement. There are times that I've sat with my wife and she didn't even say anything, but just I could feel the right spirit coming from her. That's a blessing when you're around the right people in our life, isn't it? The Bible gives us a few verses and we're getting close to being done. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, uh, well, actually, we already read that. Proverbs 21, 16, the man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. It is possible to be a living, breathing human being and have a dead family because we lost our joy. To have a dead church, and this is not one uh, for, for way of example, but for teaching out of the scriptures this morning, maybe we need to revisit the joy that God calls rejoicing and go back into how good he is. Let me encourage us, don't make God send you to the emergency room to teach you what rejoicing is all about. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for me. Three and a half million dollars later, my wife's able to walk. Within 18 months, and we thank God that she was able to come on a trip like this. My wife has the best spirit out of anybody I've ever met in my life. Sometimes I look over at her with jealousy, thinking, how can you have such a good attitude? And she's nowhere past being healed. She's heading into some more surgery soon. I'll never forget about three months after, so this is maybe a little more than a year and a half ago, about three months after her, her uh, back surgery, she was barely walking. She says, honey, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. And she says, I, I have a lump. And I'm kind of nervous about it. Went into the testing and got a hold of some very smart people. And I thank God for the insurance that we had. And within a short time of discovering that lump, my wife is in an intense amount of surgeries removing cancer. You know, God's been good to us. And he's had to teach us to let him show us and remind us and replay the goodness of God. I was concerned about my kids having the wrong attitude and not wanting to get around church or not wanting to, you know, get upset at God and things like that. I thank God that the Bible told the elders of the children of Israel that when you come into the land of promise, don't you rehearse it before your children what I did for you and how I carried you. I think sometimes God will divinely interrupt us so he could teach us, not with anger or uh, an unkind, harsh attitude. Sometimes we haven't even been doing wrong, but he wants us to excel in rejoicing because people are watching us. How are you doing this morning on rejoicing with the job God gave you, with the church God gave you, with the pastor God gave you, 
Husbands, are you enjoying your wife God gave you? How about the kids? Do we rejoice? I thank the Lord that as we hung on, the Lord had paid every single dime. I didn't have to bankrupt. I didn't have to call every pastor and person I know to ask for money. It's never happened even once. God paid every dime. Why would he be so kind to us? I think the Lord would have us to be interrupted. And if we'll hang on, he'll show us how good he is. Maybe somebody this morning just needs to hang on and have the right attitude. Stay in this church. If my wife and I lived within probably an hour drive, we would come to this church. My dad raised us under Pastor Fisher. He drove 55 miles every single service to raise us up under his church. We would come here because of what I've seen this week. Don't let the small little things take you away from where God is. We often ask the Lord, Lord, put your hand upon me. God, put your hand upon my kids. God, put your hand upon my marriage. Put your hand upon uh, my life and help me to be what you would have me to be. And, you know, I liken that to maybe back hundreds of years ago when they used to knight men into the king and queen's close leadership. I don't think that anyone who was knighted bending the knee would actually care or give much attention to how heavy that sword was sitting on their shoulder, but rather privileged to be asked to come close. Maybe God's hand is a little heavy on you. Think not on that, but what a privilege it is that we know him. And we get to be close to him. I want to give you this last verse. If you'll take your Bible, Psalm 68. Psalm chapter 68. I, I have a familiar seat in this particular hospital. And pastors at times have sat with me. And um, I've many times sat by myself. The last time maybe, um, oh, I don't know, uh, out of the 15 times I over the last year and a half, I've watched my wife be wheeled away. I would sit in this one particular chair. And as I sat in this chair about midnight in the last surgery not long ago, I was reading my Bible and I asked God, I said, Lord, I need you to teach me to have the right attitude here because I'm struggling with it. How many of you know that until we see his face, we still need to keep learning? Psalm chapter 68 is a verse that I never really saw that it was there. And I was sitting in this familiar exact hospital chair. Nobody was there. The hospital was completely empty. I'm waiting for the neurosurgeon to come out of the door and visit with me and tell me how that surgery went. And in Psalm chapter 68, God brought me to this verse. And as soon as I read the opening statement, 
I closed my Bible and I leaned up against and I said, Oh God, thank you for helping me understand. Psalm 68, look at verse 28. Thy God hath commanded thy strength. You know what I needed that night? I needed the commanding strength of God. When we get tired and when we get interrupted, when we get weary, you know what we need? We unnegotiably have to have the commanded strength of God. He loves to give it to us. He wants to give it to us. He's waiting for you to ask that he would command it upon you. I couldn't give it to myself. I, was, I, I, I didn't have the strength or the desire or the interest or anything. I, I couldn't give me strength anymore. When God showed that to me, he commanded it upon me. For an entire year, Pastor, all I preached on in 2015 was rejoice. Every message, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, conversations, all we did is our, in our church is learn how to rejoice. Think about the things we complain about. I'd like to go back to those complaints, actually. And you know, I don't want to complain and God interrupt me and I have to learn this all over again. I'd rather learn it right now this morning. God will command your strength. Lastly, and we're going to finish now, hope in the Bible is defined as a confident expectation. God says, I want you to be confident in me. I want you to trust me. I, I, I want you to be so intensely passionate that you know I'm going to care for for you and I'm going to bring you through this and I know better than you and you're going to learn me and we're going to have a good time at it. God says, now talk to me and talk to others like that's really your genuine heart. How do we talk to others about Jesus? Do we make him look good? Well, God's hand is heavy upon me right now. Pray for me. That doesn't exactly complement the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together. Thank you for listening well. As we're standing, I want to read this last verse to you out of the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 28. And we're not going to spend very much time in this auditorium. We're going to dismiss in just a moment. The Bible says in John 14, 28, Jesus taught his disciples, I'm going to leave you now. And I want you to have the right attitude about it. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send somebody, and he's called the Comforter. And in his conversation with the disciples, here's what Jesus said. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If ye loved me, you would rejoice. I believe a lack of rejoicing is a problem of love towards God. And when he hears us complain, we're telling him we don't love him, the one who's done so much for us. 
You'd like to play the piano, ma'am? I don't know where you're at this morning. I wasn't real sure the direction God would have us to take. But on the way here this morning, I felt like the Lord would have us to, to just compliment the grace of God and rejoice evermore. Maybe you're going through something and you've lost your joy in it. If the Spirit of God has touched you in any way, why don't you come out of your seat? Nobody's looking around. Nobody's concerned about what you're doing. Husbands, are you rejoicing with the wife of thy youth? What's a challenge in your life that God interrupted you and you just maybe haven't had the right attitude about it? Could I encourage you? Won't you lay that spirit before the Lord and say, God, if you'll command my strength, I want to rejoice in this. My mom was raped as a child from her older brother. Sadly, that produced a child who's my older brother now. All growing up, I never knew that story. My mom never talked about it. She told me in private a few years ago. But I would have never been able to put my finger on the fact that my mom went through something like that because she always had such a great attitude. She was a bus kid and got saved. You see, God commanded his strength on her. And she influenced me and my wife and my kids.